Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we attempt an ill-fated dive onto the prone form of the episode of NXT that originally aired on April 17th, 2014. In this episode, we have six whole wrestling matches, none of them going longer than six and a half minutes, and all of them involving dudes. So, Mm. in dubious celebration of the sheer amount of sausage at this party, (laughs) we decided to add another one because... Making his return to the next wrestling fan, it's the man who finds out how the sausage got made, Lucas Brown! Yay! I can't believe you somehow topped the brownward spiral as a more embarrassing introduction, Miles. (laughs) That's kind of Miles' specialty? Like, oh my god, I'm like, is he gonna say, yeah, I'm another sausage, son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) All for you, buddy. All for you. Welcome to episode 48 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, Bo Dallas finally realized the NXT audience hates him and lost the absolute fuck out of his shit. It was beautiful. This episode, he seems to have recovered somewhat, Mm. as we find out in one of the many backstage segments that accompany the many wrestling matches in this episode. One of those backstage segments does involve women, so at least there's that. Yeah. Uh, It's an episode composed of a lot of short segments, which means we have a lot of different things to talk about. And standing by our side on this journey, we are very pleased to welcome, as we did like a year and a half ago or something, back in episode number six. (gasps) He was our first guest. He's our first returning guest, and he is the host of the Math of You podcast, hence the sausage analogy, Lucas Brown! Yay! <laughs> Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for nearly two years. Nearly two years. Oh, wow. Uh, Lucas, thank you so much for coming on again. Yes. We really thrilled to have you back. This is the first time we've done a return guest, which is puts us in a weird position because, like, usually this is the part of the show where we ask you about, like, how you came to wrestling and what your relationship is with NXT and all this stuff. Uh, and then Bob asks you something about romance. You know, that's, that's usually <laughs> how we do this. Uh, but since you already answered all of those questions back in episode six, so a few follow-ups since you're back here on the show. First thing I want to know is in the 18 months since you were last on, have you watched any wrestling? Do you have some stuff that you've been into uh, in recent wrestling? Have you been just like completely out on all wrestling during the pandemic? Like what's been going on? Well, shortly after we spoke, I was talking about a period where I had gone fallow on wrestling for quite a while. Purely due to a time standpoint, there is so much content and media to enjoy. Uh, There's also only one screen in our house, the major screen, and that is normally taken up currently by YouTube videos of slot car racing of Mario Kart racers uh, and occasionally Mm. Moana at the moment. So (laughs) when it comes to that, there is not enough time for the 70 to 90 hours of weekly wrestling that come out. (laughs) However, I have been enjoying wrestling the way God intended, which is through Twitter and seeing gift sets and recaps and having my 
uh, Facebook Messenger group chat that I yell about things with. However, I did last month for the first time in potentially four years go over to someone's house to enjoy wrestling because Australia has been doing extremely well with COVID response and we have had uh, no local cases in my state for I think it's been coming up on 60 days. I got to go to my friend Francis's place and, you know, pick up some nice beers from the liquor store across the way. It was the Royal Rumble. The Rumble was perfect for that because, one, it was the Rumble that decided to be nostalgic for, like, 2005. Yeah! And that may, may have been when I was watching a lot of wrestling. And me and my friend Ree, they were watching wrestling at the same time. And so, like, when you saw all of that throwbacks to stuff that was happening in 2005 we were very excited to see it and we're like are we the olds now um <laughs> the other thing i noticed about wrestling at the moment well one they're finally pushing uh one branson reed aka jonah rock from pwa yes push him to the moon goddamn and two i'm, I'm gonna get close up on the mic for this are they just calling finn balor prince fuck now God, Hub texted me the other day to ask me that exact question. <laughs> because I know, he, like, I know he was Prince Devitt in F-X-X-X. Japan. He's FXXX. He was Prince Devitt in Japan. He did start yeah. leaning into the fact that every time he poses coming into the ring, you can clearly see not only the whole package, but all the Christmas presents uh, through Oh, his he trunks. just points it at yeah. you. And <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's they weaponized. They clearly understand their secondary and tertiary markets for this incredibly attractive yeah. and cut man uh, showing off yes. all of his bits through his trunks. Um. And now they're just calling him Prince Fuck. It's like a straight line from one to the other. Uh, and my yeah. friend, who I mentioned before, whose Twitter display name is King Fuck, uh, accused Finn Balor of gimmick infringement. And I then pointed out that, ah. no, wait a minute. Uh, a prince would be a subordinate to the king or sub, as you will. Are you a bad enough dude yeah. to talk Finn Balor, Prince Fuck? The prince who fucks. Oh shit! <laughs> mm. I don't, man, there was a, there was like, I'm not. But there, <laughs> there was a serious silence in the group chat. And then they said that they withdraw their question. <laughs> yes, that's the right decision. I don't know if any of us are man enough to top Finn Balor. Jeez, uh, man. We, as it happens, we're recording this. I just want everybody to know we're recording this like as WrestleMania starts. Yeah, it's yes. Uh, I think the pre-show is happening now, so we are actually missing uh, WrestleMania for this. Although apparently there's a huge, like, extreme weather warning in Tampa right now, so we'll see what actually happens. Oh wow! Yeah. A weather warning in the midst of a global panini over 48 consecutive hours of WrestleMania. It's like I'm sure that's oh, a recipe yeah. for success. Well, you know what? This is what they get for hiring Hulk Hogan to host the show. Yeah. Uh, Cursed. Cursed. One other thing I wanted to ask you, and this is a more general question, not about recent wrestling, because I thought that, you know, the the fans that listen to our show that are into wrestling would probably be interested in, in, you know, the recent stuff and and watching the Royal Rumble and everything and uh, Bronson Reed. But one thing that I thought would be a good question for you, especially, is you've been a wrestling fan now for a long time. Yeah. And we talk a lot about how understanding wrestling can sometimes help you recontextualize or like better understand another piece of media. Is there a piece of non-wrestling media that you feel like you understand better or differently because you are a wrestling fan? You are doing a dance right now and I'm excited about your answer to this question. Motherfucker, can we talk about Godzilla versus Kong? <gasps> oh I no spoilers because it oh, is no, something where. Oh no, I don't where, care if I'm spoiled. No, but I'm, I guess some yeah, stuff. It is don't a don't relatively recent yeah. movie, which I got to see yeah. in a theater. Oh wow! Nice. Australia, what was Australian that even privilege. like? Uh, it was great because one, it was an incredibly, it was nearly empty theater because they are still doing Ooh. social distancing. Two, they, they had reclining seats. Three, we went at 
uh, two o'clock in the afternoon because we are parents. Uh, we we drop yeah. Kira and his grandparents and then like smash the accelerator to the floor over to Macquarie Center to go see it on the big screen. Again, no spoilers, but I need to tell you, as I watched this movie, I could have written a film paper slash media studies paper on American pro wrestling booking versus Japanese pro wrestling booking as it pertains Whoa. to Kong, an American monster, and Godzilla, a Japanese monster. I would read that paper. I would too. Because obviously compared to Skull Island, you know they were going their whole mission here was to humanize Kong because Kong was big and scary in Skull Island. And everyone knows the power of King Kong is he is he is the monster who can love, as Peter <laughs> Jackson proved in two thousand and five. Here's the thing, though. It's like you watch it, and if you watch those stories with that mindset, and, and pro wrestling is never far from my mindset, thank you very much. Right, It's yeah. something that you can so clearly see. It is very clear that one is an underdog story, and one is the story mm-hmm. about someone being the best at something because they are the best at something. Mm. Right, being the ace. Godzilla's the ace. Yeah, Go- Godzilla is Okada. Okada is the best yeah. because he is Okada, and Okada is the best. He is the best at wrestling. <laughs> And so, therefore, when you come at Okada, you best bring your best, or Okada will destroy you because Okada is the best at wrestling and doesn't need anything apart from being the best at wrestling. Whereas, yeah, it's it's a very interesting story if you approach it in that way. Well, if you do write that paper, you have at least two people oh, yes. more than willing to read it and probably discuss it and like possibly write counter arguments. Um, I am so interested and you have made me the most likely to watch a Godzilla movie I've ever been. Mm-hmm. And it's not yeah, because same. I don't like Godzilla. I like Godzilla a lot, but like with all films, I'm very upset that most films where there's a big thing in it are about them fighting and not them, you know, Fucking, trying. Yeah. Well, no. I, well, okay. Yes, that. But <laughs> also like trying to decide whether they're going to go to Olive Garden or whether they're going to like try that new place across town with the tapas and like have a little <laughs> argument in the car about it. And I just want to hear Godzilla say, no, but what do you want to go do? And then <laughs> like that conversation. But nobody's writing those films for me. <laughs> That's a very niche audience. It's, it's a Bob audience okay. is what it is. I have a question for Lucas, Please. which is... Yeah, go for it. What is your hot take or quote-unquote bad opinion about wrestling where you're going, no, secretly, I think so-and-so is incredibly talented and everybody else in the world has gone, no. Or that there was a match that you thought was terrible that everybody loves, any of those. And I may not understand your bad opinion or your hot take, but I'm very interested. This is a two-part answer. Because I, I had one that sprang to mind immediately, and then I thought about it for a sec. Yes, I know. Apparently, he's gotten better recently. I, I want I want Randy Orton to go away. I wanted Randy Orton oh. to go away 12 years <laughs> okay. ago. I wanted him gone 15 years ago. I wanted him gone shortly after he left Evolution, and they ran out of things to do with him. Um, I, <laughs> I have never. And, and I've been watching wrestling since 1988 was my first like ex- exposure to wrestling. I've never enjoyed a Randy Orton match. I don't care who you put him against. He manages to drag them down to his level. Uh, it was, <laughs> oh, man. It's bad, and I don't like it. And they've recontextualized him being slow or lazy as, oh, he's thoughtful. He's cerebral. Look at him stalking his prey. No, he doesn't want to run, <laughs> motherfucker. He lazy. 
Um, <laughs> you will not get me to renounce my lifelong love for Andy Horton on this podcast, sir. See, we, we, I have a huge mark for that man, uh, and I know it's. I know I probably shouldn't be, but I don't give a shit. Uh, RKO out of nowhere. Let's do it. <laughs> I kind of like Randy Orton, but I know I shouldn't, and I know he's not a good thing, but I also am like, aw, he's just a a cranky asshole, and I am nothing if not a sucker for a cranky asshole. Thank you for being willing to share your your hot take on Randy Orton, and I want to hear your other hot take. Oh, yeah, there's a two-parter, yeah. This is my positive hot take. This is the one that flashed into my head. If anyone asks me anything... I'm going to say put more Akira Tozawa in it. Is that a hot take? Who doesn't love Akira Tozawa? Well, apparently the people writing his stories who keep giving him ninjas. Um, but <laughs> like, look, man, and the thing is, this is, this is bias. When you see something live and are unaware of it and are impressed by it, you know, it's something where it can give a, you a more positive disposition towards that thing. Ask me why I love the movie Wimbledon, and it's because I saw it at a moonlight cinema on the edge of the water at Mrs. Macquarie's chair in Sydney Harbor on a giant screen as wow. I drank wine and, like, ate a cheese platter uh, in an outdoor kind of cinema. Oh. So that's like, <laughs> that I'm would make so, me love anything. So I love that terrible Kristen Dunst, Paul Bettany tennis movie. I don't <laughs> like tennis. Fuck? Um, I didn't know that was a movie. What is happening? It, it's kind of it's a kind of sweet romantic comedy uh, by Richard Curtis. But oh, well, so here's the thing: right. I was in Tokyo the one time I've been to Japan and scored tickets to Dragon Gate live fourth row. Whoa! Uh, and it was like a, an all trios match night, so I got to see everybody <gasps> on their roster. Uh, yeah, you know, BXB Hulk and Chima. And read it in one of the last matches. Akira Tozawa was there, and he wasn't just great; he was incredibly funny. And, like, had the crowd in the palm of his hand. And the back of his trunks used to say in the Spider-Man PS3 font, pray for Akira Tozawa. And with, like, Aww. little praying hands. And so uh, the minute I heard he was signed, I was so happy. And, like, the one uh, WWE live event that he – sorry, NXT live event that he came out for in Australia, I saw him and stood up and screamed from the first balcony, that's my boy! <laughs> and so, yes, I, I want that talented motherfucker to do everything he can – I know that they just keep bringing him bad ideas, and it's bad. I mean, I don't think they've even used him in, f- yeah. in months now. That's the problem. Lucas, yes. I don't know if you've heard about a little show that we did called Smash Fiction Hard Choices. We're a little bit high on it, a little bit horny on it, because <laughs> it is us looking at fictional universes and going, all right, but who is... The most fuckable, the least fuckable, and the median of fuckability in this universe. And so, we're not talking about hotness. We're just talking about that sexy, sexy vibe when they walk in the room. And I was wondering, were there any standouts in the field of fuckability in this episode in particular? I feel like Camacho's bringing a lot of energy here. That angry notice me energy. And it's like, I don't, I don't know if I'm there Ooh. for that, but I respect that it's there. But I got to give it to Jason Jordan. Ooh. Oh, I like that pick. High energy. He seems very enthusiastic. enthusiastic. Athletic. He's just happy to be here. And you know what? That's nice. what you want in a partner, you know? Yeah, There's exactly. a lot to be said for that. Like, it's- recognizes that this is a gift and that they should just be like, heck yeah, I'm here to party. Mm-hmm. That's gorgeous. All right. Jason Jordan, you are the star of this episode. Camacho, you are also a star, but a little bit angry. <laughs> Personally, I go with Aiden English because I'm into theater majors, but you know. Oh, boy. 
You like yeah. somebody who loudly screams Edgar Allan Poe? Goddamn right. D- disapproving of your <laughs> word choice energy. See, I Absolutely. am Aiden English. I don't need to fuck Aiden English. Like. <laughs> oh, Snake Hips himself. We will talk more about that later in the episode, Bob, <laughs> about how thoroughly you are Aiden English. Yeah. I don't have a pick off the top of my head, so I probably better wait and see. Perhaps I will have one as the episode continues. Okay, well, we'll uh, we'll get the answer to that later, hopefully. Lucas is going to be hanging out with us as we move through Bob's breakdown, after which we are going to have to ring the bell for a couple of our <gasps> friends here at what? NXT. It's nothing huge, but it okay. is a couple of people. Before getting into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling, no wrestling term of the week, and also no cheap pop quiz this week. Bob and I have discussed it, and we think that the cheap pop quiz doesn't work as well on episodes where we have guests. Mm-hmm. So Mostly we are going to we'll cackle at the right answer. I did. Yeah, that exactly. That. Especially you, you motherfucker. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're going to use guest episodes as a break from that segment from here on out. But we are going to close out this episode by having Lucas join us for a very special edition of Guess the Gimmick. And of course, we do still need to get the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. Bob, still rolling with six points here in our fifth supersized round of quizzing. Let's see if they earned any more. Question number one. On the next episode, the Ascension takes on another jobber tag team. I'm just telling you it happens. I can't make jokes about it anymore. (laughs) However, there's actually another tag team match on the show, which is designed to introduce a brand new regular tag team in NXT. Which two wrestlers we've seen before as jobbers make up NXT's new and only Non-Ascension tag team. Oh, my God. Is it A, Wesley Blake and Cal Bishop? B, Jason Jordan and Ty Dillinger? C, Baron Corbin and Sawyer Fulton? D, Casey Marion and Mike Labosca? Or E, Marcus Louis and Travis Tyler? Bob, you guessed B, Jason Jordan and Ty Dillinger, and you were correct. I don't know how I knew. I think your justification on the last episode was that you knew Ty Dillinger was a thing at some point. Oh, yeah, he was a thing. All right. Yes, you were aware of that. So I think that prompted you to uh, make this pick. And that was a good one. That said, Wesley Blake does become a thing, too. I had to do a double take when he turned up. He does. And I'm like, oh, hey, it's that guy. People (laughs) keep saying that and I don't believe it. But okay. Most of these jobbers actually do become things at a certain point, although to varying degrees. Question number two, how does the NXT audience react to CJ Parker's in-ring promo about how bad we all are for the environment? Uh. Is it A, they actually cheer him because they're mostly college students and they know the planet is dying? B, they start off indifferent but seem to get more into him as the promo goes on? C, they remain totally indifferent to CJ Parker and basically everything he says? D, they boo him dutifully but it's obvious their hearts aren't really into it? Or E, they chant a global warming at him as though actively rooting for climate change? Uh, I cheated a little bit in this one because they don't actually chant global warming until he, the actual match, but still, that is the right answer. Uh, Bob, you went with D. They boo him dutifully, but it's obvious their hearts aren't really into it, which is kind of true, but not what we were going for in this one. Uh, and you specifically said on the last episode that you were not choosing E because you hoped it wasn't true. So. I know. I have words for them. I have words. Okay. We'll get to it. And question number three. What notable thing occurs during a backstage segment involving the BFFs? A. Summer Ray is back and the three are more united than ever. B. 
Summer Rae is back, and she's pissed at Sasha for all the matches she's been losing recently. C. Summer Rae isn't back, but Charlotte is pissed at Sasha for all the matches she's been losing recently, and declares that she's taking over leadership of the group. D. Charlotte tried to voice her concerns about Sasha's losses, but Sasha talks over her and asserts her leadership over the group in the absence of Summer Rae. Or E. Alicia Fox interrupts the segment to tell Charlotte and Sasha that they are clearly lost without Summer and they should accept her as leader of the BFFs. Bob, you went with C, the one about Charlotte taking over leadership of the group, and you were correct again. Yeah! Eight points. I'm like halfway there. I'm a little bit over halfway there. You're a little bit more than halfway to uh, our fifth bonus episode involving a romance novel, which will feature a guest. Yeah. So... Bob, we are moving right along. It's been a rough few weeks. Yes, it has. It's been a rough few episodes in terms of you and the cheap pop quiz, but this was a real comeback. So uh, hopefully there's more of that for you in the future. But uh, in our immediate future, Bob, it's time for Bob's Breakdown. All right. Before we get underway, I do want to say... I wrote match one and I wrote match numbers next to the matches. As soon as you said there were six matches, I do not know that I actually got to six. So who knows how these are numbered? Okay. (laughs) Match one, Colin Cassidy versus Aiden English. First of all, crotch watch. Mm. (laughs) It says big Bambino on the front of Cass's trunks. I just want to say that remains to be seen, buddy. That remains to be seen. Colin Cassidy has never been more damp and oily. (laughs) He looks like a bedraggled teenager that's gone unwashed for a week and then gone through a car wash that uses olive oil instead of water. (laughs) And Renee is on commentary for the men's match. And I'm really happy about this. Renee on commentary for the whole thing. I thought there was one match where I didn't hear Renee, but I could be, again, fugue state. I think she's on the whole thing. She is. Yeah, it is a four person booth. Although two of the people sound exactly alike, so it's basically a three-person booth. (laughs) I'm in the fair. (laughs) Harsh, but fair. All right, Aiden English comes out and sings a parody of Think of Me from Phantom of the Opera. I just melted. I melted because I am 100% a mark for Phantom. I have three distinct published Phantom of the Opera fanfics. They are in novel form on my bookshelf. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like Aiden English just got way over with me more over than he has ever been. And I want to say his new tights do not hurt either. Cause they are blue crushed velvet with a gold lame waist and an applique rose on the leggings. And it says drama King on the butt as it always does. Yes. And I don't know if so you all someone touched this. Aiden English with a drama stone and he has evolved to his second form. <laughs> oh my God. That is what happened. That's a Pokemon reference. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I do want to point it out because I my elf eyes saw something different, but this was on the list. Okay. There is contoured shaving around the areolas of Aiden English. <laughs> I did, in fact, not notice. Yeah, no, I didn't catch that. Go believe back. Believe it or not. There is a small little like, it's like somebody went in with the tiniest John Deere and just did a little circle. Sorry, and you're trying to get me to believe you don't think he's fuckable. Is that what I'm understanding? No, no, I think he is. I don't know if I need that much drama in my life. Do you know what I mean? Right, like, sure. When we do a hard choices about NXT, we will see where Aiden English ranks and he may rank much higher than I think he does. 
So the match starts. They trade heavy blows until Cass throws English into the ropes and on the rebound, leaps, fawn-like, into the air to just knee English in the chin. Down he goes. He follows it up with that big boot, but English kicks out and flees to the outside corner. And then he lures Cass over, knee to the head. And now he starts the softening up process, like when you have a bag of freezer burned peas and you just kind of throw them <laughs> into every surface in your kitchen. We've all done an elbow drop on some peas before, I think. So Cass regains momentum and does his over-the-shoulder caber toss of Aiden English and then looks at his hands like, you, righty, are the true hero here. And then English comes back and tries to line up the director's cut. But as he gets behind Cass, Cass throws him, I think judo style, maybe, over his shoulder. Sure. But English, canny bastard that he is, grabs Cass's legs and pins him in a small package. It's the pretzel of limbs. It might have been a small package. I think it was a roll-up. Roll-up? Okay. It's a roll-up. And he grabs the tights for extra measure. One, two, three. And English wins it. And I was like, yay, die mad about it, Cass. (laughs) And also, congrats to English because those go faster areolas really paid off. Now, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong about this, but I'm fairly confident that this match was taped back when they were feuding (gasps) and edited into this episode. And the reason reason I'm confident about that is because they do the thing with the roses, which we haven't seen in quite some time. And I'm pretty sure that NXT was fucking passing out those roses, people to throw at Aiden English when he was done wrestling. And and I think they are not passing them out anymore. So that's why I believe. I think this match is from like January. Wow. (laughs) That explains why they were like, oh, yes, this is an old rivalry. And I was like, they've been fighting for like two months, you guys. (laughs) Do you think then, because the commentary was current, do you think they did the commentary at this session? It must have been like recorded after the fact, too. They they, they can do that. I know that was a thing that... That can be done. Um, that's the one thing that makes me lose confidence in that a little bit. Because, like, they showed the commentary team. Yes. Um, which was interesting. But maybe that's why they chose this episode to put it into. Because they had the same fucking commentary oh team. Oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> uh, that, that said, I mean, they did talk about how Aiden English was just in the main event. But then talked about how, essentially, he was slumming it here with Cass. At which point my notes just read, don't describe the burial. but that maybe explains because regal seemed a little off his game in this first match like Mm. he was still giving us good stuff but he was doing a lot of like stop start hesitations Mm -hmm. at the beginning of his of his words and i'm like regal's an old pro he knows how to do this so maybe that was okay you're commentating over a taped match rather than a live match so it's a little more hesitant backstage devin taylor welcomes tyler breeze a furry phone comes into shot from stage right, and Devin dutifully reads off the rest of Breeze's monikers, which are on that screen. And then she asks him, what is it he wanted to say to the NXT universe? Did he have something that he wanted to share? No, I just thought this episode needed someone who was gorgeous. He purses his lips and saunters off screen. An announcement for no reason, Miles... Lucas, I am now at 100% on Tyler Breeze. I watched that and I was just like, I love this man. I love him so much. This is a Muppet Show interview. Like it This is. is a Muppet <laughs> Show moment, like in between the sketches. 
where like the star will come on, say something, ask for something to be a particular way, and then leave. It is so perfect. More dumb bullshit. That is my battle cry in all things, but most especially in wrestling. The moment wrestling goes, nah, this is a thing. I'm like, get the fuck out of here, sir. I want none of your, this is a thing. This is nothing. And I want more nothing. (laughs) (laughs) No, honestly, like I am also a huge mark for any time a heel forces an announcer to give off a clearly made up list of titles for the moment. Yes. Like it's it's ba- I know it's that bit from Rocky Four where Apollo Creed has a list of titles and he, the people get bored halfway through the list and it's like the King of Sting, the Count of Monte Fisto, and he's like, It's almost done, calm down. <laughs> yes, give me everything where Tyler gets to tell him he's like, No, I am Prince Pretty, I am all of these things. Oh, I love King it. King of so Cuteville, much. baby. Yeah, King of Cuteville, there you go. And now we get a big old package, and it's not from Cass. It is about Paige. <laughs> it is Set to moody knockoff Evanescence, I think, and some blue lighting and a, some ethereal voice going, ah. It's really, it's a whole thing. Paige is so great, guys. We get to see her defeat of AJ Lee with the Paige Turner on the post-WrestleMania Raw. And then there's an interview with her. And then we get to see Two Belts Paige. And that diva belt for the WWE has a fucking pink rhinestone butterfly on it. What the fuck is this tacky princess bullshit? Oh, man, is that your yeah. first time seeing that title? I think I had heard tales of the butterfly yeah, belt, but I hadn't seen it. Yeah, we've talked about it. Well, yeah. I fucking hate it. It's ugly. Yeah, you it and is. everybody else. <laughs> Almost like it was designed to bury the division. Oh, yes. I also do want to say Paige is wearing a stripy, like, high neck turtleneck. Yeah, and, I love um, it. Yeah, I liked it, too. Although It's it was- a sleeveless turtleneck. Was it sleeveless as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whoa. I want to say it was so high that I was like, do you have a bunch of hickeys? Is this what happened? Because you that turtleneck is like about to eat your chin. When we ring the bell for Paige to talk about what happened with her career after NXT, we will talk about why that might be actually true. <gasps> oh, Yikes. no. Match two. Are we on match two now? Yes. We are on match two. Okay. Yes. All right. It's Camacho versus Oliver Gray. I just want to say, Camacho is secretly one of the hottest guys on the roster. It's not much of a secret, but I feel like nobody is out here putting respect on the hotness that Camacho is bringing to the ring, and that's a damn shame. He's going to fight Oliver Gray. Oliver Gray comes out here with a Lannister lion on his ass, and I was a little bit surprised to see that. Hashtag butt wash. As the match gets underway, maybe you heard it, the audience is chanting something. Green caboose. We love moose? Watch Footloose? If you out there <laughs> possibly can decipher what this was, do let me know. Camacho is wrestling in Converse. I believe actual branded Chuck Taylors. Tell me about the choices and practicalities of wrestling footwear because I've also seen some wrestlers go out there in like really nice sneakers, um, some wrestling barefoot. Tell me about this stuff. So wrestling footwear is... Very much a kind of a recent thing in that it is rare for someone to wrestle in sneakers, at least until until John Cena started doing it in uh, initially in Reeboks, but later switched to Nikes. But yeah, it is very much like with any wrestling costuming, it is part of a storytelling choice. So with Hunako and Camacho, the implication when they were riding in on like the low rider bikes and like, you know, wearing the low beanies and stuff, it's meant to be a particular look and telling you more about it. I feel bad for Camacho because it worked for Hunako because he was a very fast paced 
kind of quick moving wrestler. Because Camacho is such a power wrestler, you can see the Converse flex whenever he puts his foot down. Mm. And like, I don't know if you've had a pair of Converse that are on their last legs because that inner lining starts to break first and your foot will actually slide over off the sole. And his is starting to do that. And I think it's because he's such a big dude. But no, when it comes to wrestling, uh, a lot of local Australian wrestlers will wrestle in, yeah, like you said, like nice basketball shoes or something, because those are usually pretty good for impacts and up and down movements and stuff uh, as they're kind of designed for that. But normally wrestling boots are de rigueur and usually customized wrestling boots. You don't see barefoot wrestling as much anymore because it's dangerous. Yeah, it seems like it'd be super dangerous. Yeah, you you see guys break an ankle, break a toe, especially when it's sweaty. The footing is nowhere near as good. Even a lot of modern barefoot wrestlers, with the exception of that dipshit I'm not mentioning, uh, will have a wrap around the middle of their foot uh, to kind of keep their arch up. And that will keep okay. their, their footing a little bit better. Caveman Ugg here in Australia will do that. I was going to say, there is one person, uh, a somewhat prominent person right now, who does wrestle barefoot in WWE. Fortunately, he deserves whatever he gets. Yes. <laughs> Fuck, that Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. So yeah, uh, it is kind of a new thing. But much like, again, another wrestler who can go get fucked, Jack Allen, used to wrestle when he was a heel in like, well, what meant to look like sort of corporate leather shoes. But we're actually Kohan Nike combinations that I had a pair of because I can't wear corporate shoes because I have bad feet. It's a styling choice. It's a costuming choice. And it's meant to give more of your character. It also could just be like a comfort thing. Like mm-hmm. I know certain wrestlers mm. wrestle with certain boots. And if you look at actual like amateur wrestling boots, they do look like very light sneakers. Because okay. wrestlers do a lot of bending at the ankle and in the middle of the foot. So they need a lot of movement. Ah, all right. Thank you. That could have been a very boring tangent, but I, I was surprised how much information I had on it. No, I found it <laughs> fascinating because I always thought you have to wrestle in wrestling boots because any other shoe runs a lot of risk of coming off mid-match. Converse, hmm. less so. But a basketball shoe, unless you're tying it very tightly, that could be flying off there you know, if you go to the top rope and that's not a situation you want to be in, but I can understand that that padding has got to be so much better for their knees. Yeah, for real. So this match, Oliver Gray tries a touch of the technical wrestles and then just ends up getting a brutal kicking and Camacho attacks the back of Oliver Gray and then picks him up across the shoulder like a shepherd holding a lamb and then falls backward, dropping Gray down onto his back Pins him for the win. That was that match. That was a Samoan drop. Yeah. Oh yes. That is a that is not a finishing move. Not not <laughs> okay, anymore. Not I since wondered. the days of Tatanka. That makes me even more in need of asking this question. Did this put over Camacho? Because I feel like I got nothing out of this match except for the fact that I like Camacho. I think they needed him to win one. Because Camacho for a long time was used as the slightly larger than normal jobber. To yeah, a new and guy. we were just talking about how, remember like a, a few episodes ago, Bob, mm-hmm. we were talking about how like he didn't even get an entrance and he just yeah, got trucked by somebody I was pissed. and like how they were using him as a jobber. So like, I think now they're putting him in this feud with Adam Rose. So they need to at least make him look like not a jobber because jobbers don't get feuds. Okay. And how do you do that? You have him win against somebody, in this case, Oliver Gray, who is making his return after a year or two away yeah. Uh, yeah. due to injury. It does serve to elevate him above where he was a few episodes ago, which admittedly was not super high. But mm. it does do a little bit, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. We know the guy who plays Camacho 
is actually not Latinx, right? Yes. Oh, yeah, we've talked about that. He's he's Tongan, yeah. Okay, so when Regal refers to him as, quote, a savage opponent and a brutal Mm. beast, I winced Mm -hmm. so hard that my neck turned round. Yeah. It could have been an attempt at insider lingo because of Wild Samoans and uh, Tongan Kid and all that stuff, but oh my god, it clanged, and I'm just like, okay, so if you didn't know, you wouldn't notice, but I noticed and it clanged. The reminder is always good when we talk about Kamasha that he is he is one of the people that gets some really racist shit thrown his way during his WWE run. Mm-hmm. Backstage. Bo Dallas! Yes, he is Bo! Oh boy, oh boy. Your bid to occupy NXT fizzled. What's the deal? Bo insists that it's just because Bo Leavers are law-abiding gentlefolk who didn't want to do anything untoward that would upset the local constabulary. However, <laughs> the Bo Dallas hotline is ringing off the hook, so don't even worry about it. Bo's self-delusional empire is absolutely not crumbling. And Devin, don't stop Bo leaving. He insists with that desperate rictus grin that is both welcoming and endlessly hungry. <laughs> Match so three. Well My vampire boys, I have missed them. They've got merch. Okay, wait one second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But are yeah, they yeah, yeah, indeed. the first NXT folks to have their own merch? Or was there tons of merch already? Gosh, I have no idea. I was not buying NXT merch at the time. Neither was I, but I remember there was an NXT store by the time I started mm. watching. And a lot of the merch sucked. It was pretty bad. <laughs> well, that's that's going to be true for years. Yes, it's, it's often just the name of wrestler in particular oh. font, word art. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. The jobbers are waiting patiently beside the ring, waiting to be allowed to enter. And it's Wesley Blake and Cal Bishop. Connor starts the match off and Blake is actually allowed to get a hit in that gives Connor pause. Side note, Connor put Victor's hair in a little ponytail. Okay, I know. We do not see it happen on camera that that's how Victor's hair got in that little ponytail, but it didn't put itself in that ponytail. <laughs> we're not no, going to cover no, it. Did not. Th- we're not going to cover this match in any depth because who gives a shit other than yeah, yeah, yeah. But best moment, the audience gets hyped for a nothing move. Blake is sitting ragdoll in the Ascension's corner, and every time he starts to get up, Connor winds up to kick him back down. The audience goes, and this happens a few times. And then they start chanting one more time for a spot (laughs) that again is nothing. I love it so much. It's wonderful. Even Connor is confused. At first he kind of hesitated. Like, are we we doing this? I guess. (laughs) guess. And and Bob, I need to correct you. They were shouting one more. Yeah. Oh my God. One more, yeah. Oh, I am so happy that the Ascension is out here doing nothing. It is Dadaist. It is like <laughs> art that is about the fact that it's art and isn't about anything else. It is commenting upon itself. <laughs> okay, I mean, Cal Bishop isn't even tagged in. They do the fall of man no. on Blake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, they get their belts back because obviously Connor and Victor won. And they do kind of a doggy style pose as their music blares and the lights go blue. And it's all very romantic. Indeed. There was one bit where Wesley Blake was trying to get to the corner uh, for the tag that we knew was never going to happen. And at one point, I think it was Victor slid around him and then like on his knees and then slid yes. backwards and blocked the corner 
like fuck you physics yeah, <laughs> I'm a yeah. I, like that a lot. I like that a lot it actually. was a rare bit of character from the ascension boys and i'm like that was really cool you're doing i thing. know they are doing their damnedest. They are doing their absolute best with what they are being given, which is nothing. Nothing. And I like that the audience is conspiring against the WWE management by joining yeah. sides with the Ascension to go, yo, no, we are going to put this over. And they're like, what you're putting over is nothing. You're putting over a leaf blowing in the wind. And they're like, fuck yeah, that leaf. <laughs> leaf, 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 one more leaf, leaf. one more leaf. <laughs> <laughs> So backstage, Devin is here to ask Sasha why she's losing, which I was like, Jesus, that's rude. <laughs> but I get that that's part of sports is that you have to go up to somebody and say, so you're doing bad at your job. Would you like to comment upon it? And I'm like, oh, that's awful. But it's not as rude as Charlotte hijacking this interview to say, you suck, Sasha. I'm in charge now. We need someone with a little more dot, dot, dot flair. I see what you did there and I don't hate it. Everyone saw it, and everyone saw it before you said it. Sasha's so doing such good react work in this interview. Yes. So much yeah, facial storytelling. Like, even from, like, the minute she's like, oh, you're losing, you get, like, a full, like, pursed lips eye roll from Sasha. And she's like, all right, motherfucker. And then she's immediately cut off, and we get to see, like, the warring emotions on her face. Yeah, no, that's actually, yes. well, that's a great point, because it's very well done the way she, like, she clearly thinks that she, now it's time for her and Charlotte to gang up on the stupid interviewer girl. But then actually, like, Charlotte says, like, no, actually, you have been losing, and I'm taking over now. Yeah, and there's, yeah, like, very the good facial acting. There's a bit of shame there. There's also a little bit of pride in that she is talking talking to me about me and so that's still yeah. a good thing uh, it's like yeah there's so much going on like oh, baby sasha here you're gonna be so great i <laughs> she's the best and then match four. Oh god cj parker is talking cj parker gets on the mic and the audience hates it he talks about how proud he'd be if the nxt universe didn't exist he can't believe they're booing a guy who wants to make the world a better place the great colleague comes out and boy Miles, you were right. He he really <laughs> struggles to move. I think he's got health problems. He does, yeah. Okay, because he does. Audience, if you've not seen The Great Kali Walk, it is like, did you see the birdcage audience? It's that moment whenever Robin Williams tells Nathan Lane that to walk like a man, you have to walk like John Wayne. And then Nathan Lane does the walk. And Robin Williams' character is like, oh my God. It's like, oh, no, he did really. John Wayne did walk like that. That is how he walks. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, and he walks like somebody who's in pain and it sucks. And he, when you're that big, you know. Yo, yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. He slaps the shit out of CJ Parker's chest. The audience, like blood curdling, baying, going one more time. Just the maw of a beast. And the audience starts chanting global warming to really stick it to Parker, one assumes. The great Kali then lifts Parker seven goddamn feet in the air and slams him to the mat for the pin. And that is the end of that. I spent a long time trying to write something vicious and cruel about what I wish would happen to people that don't care about the destruction of the planet or even uh -huh. just people that don't feel like that's a serious emergency in our world. And I couldn't come up with anything because ultimately... I just feel sad that they exist and that they don't see the world for this wondrous, continuously reshaping puzzle box paradise surprise that it is. Like, I'm sorry for anyone that doesn't get it. And that is as much time as I'm willing to give it. And also, fuck entirely and permanently off. All the way off. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, 
it's hard, especially looking back to oh god, be in on to be in on the joke when it comes to the global warming chance and the portrayal of the guy who cares about the environment as a heel. It's uh, it's not. It's not something that I can immerse myself in. Speaking no. of something I cannot immerse myself in, uh, we have two chalk marks on the board for racist regal behavior. He oh, yes, was that referring one. to, oh shoot, I've forgotten his name, the guy uh, who was being Kali's manager at the time, Renjev Singh or something to that effect. And at one okay. point, Regal mentions that the manager is not here. Uh, he's visiting his brother, who is a karaoke champion, whose name is Get Up to Singh. Yes. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, I blocked that. And I'm out. like, uh He's at that stage, I think, in where we are in 2014, where it's like, well, but we just make fun of everybody equally. And then we're like, yeah. no, that's not how that works. Yeah. You're acting as though white supremacy doesn't exist. And it categorically does. Not great, Bob. No. I mean that beyond just the meme. <laughs> but you know what is fucking great? What's that? It's Emma. Emma has a tag team match next week against Charlotte and Sasha. Has she found a partner yet? Emma says, no, I have not. Or have I? And does a mischievous little laugh and dances away. Emma's character is a goddamn delight. She reminds me of Puck from Midsummer Night's Dream, but if he gave even less of a shit. <laughs> and this is more Muppet Show nonsense. Yes! Yeah. Oh my god. It does feel like an episode of the Muppet Show, and I, you know what? That's what I want, honestly, is I want to watch the Muppet Show, but I want there to be fighting sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so backstage also Sami Zayn is there he says he could have hung in there and finished the match but he understands because obviously you know we don't joke about concussions but apparently we do for the WWE and he's pissed at Corey and doesn't like him so he's gonna put him in his place in a match and I don't know what match but yeah do the thing is what I wrote down in my notes alright match five Excuse me, what? Another tag team match? I by this Ooh. time I had forgotten that Miles asked me that question. Damn right. Jason Jordan and Ty Dillinger get an entrance. Oh, do they? Oh my god. Against Baron Corbin and Jeff Somebody is what I wrote down, but now I know it's Sawyer Fulton. <laughs> It's Sawyer Fulton, yes. Which is basically the Jeff Somebody of names. Yeah, I may have put <laughs> Jeff Somebody in some of my notes, so I'll try and correct that. I feel really weird watching it because it's like seeing all the blood donors for the ascension in one place it's like <laughs> they're all gonna get eaten and this is just the opening act before the horror film really gets going like oh they're all carefree playing on the beach and then we're like oh man that water is made of sharks there's no water holding this water together it's all sharks it's looking great for the team of jordan and dillinger and then after a vicious clothesline from corbin dillinger is imperiled. And side note, this match actually looks competitive and has some stuff happening. It is not a nothing yes. match. And it is yes. weirdly, correct me if I'm wrong, this is less of a nothing match than the Ascension match. Oh, no, you're very correct on that. Okay. Absolutely. They made Baron Corbin look good in this match. And Corbin's buddy, um, uh, Jeff, somebody, uh, oh, Sawyer Fulton. Yes. Sawyer Fulton has a one strap top, so he has like a cheeky tit hanging out, and it's pretty great. It's <laughs> <laughs> my favorite bird's cheeky tit. <laughs> <laughs> and then, holy shit, Corbin, and I never thought I would say, holy shit, Baron Corbin anything in my life. 
but does an incredible delayed vertical suplex on Dillinger. So we just get circus strongman shit of holding another human being vertical for a good 10 seconds. Jason Jordan receives that Mario star hot tag and delivers one of the prettiest drop kicks I've ever seen. And I've seen Sami Zayn do drop kicks. He will do that. It's like he's hanging in midair, curls his legs and then slams his feet into Corbin's face. Dillinger gets tagged back in and he and Jordan lay out the guy who isn't Baron Corbin, which is Sawyer Fulton. And then (laughs) the match is over. You know what? Good job, everybody. Good job. I'm so happy that we've reached the era of NXT where Jason Jordan is part of our lives on a regular basis. I love him. I love him. He's so good. He's even got like a team finisher. They've got a modified snapshot they're using. And it's like, that's great. Do that. You know, get yourself over as a team, not just a couple of guys. We'll talk more about that later. And then Adrian Neville versus Brodus Clay. And what I have written down is, all right, I guess we're doing this. In case you were wondering, Bob, that is match six. Oh, yes. All right. Match six. The bell goes. And the best way I can describe what happens is like when you see a terrier or another small dog just absolutely go for a big dog. Like there's a (laughs) mastiff and then this little rat terrier is like, I will eat your ankles, motherfucker. And Adrian Neville is just relentless and jumps on Clay's back legs, kicking in midair. And he does a jump at Clay who just catches him in midair and then throws Neville. The ground and pound part is is fine. I mean, it's just Neville trying to get up and then Brodus Clay beating him back down to the mat, which is what the match is. But Clay is really boring to watch for all that he is perfectly believable as a big dangerous heel. Like, am I alone in this? Is he boring to watch? Why is he boring? I think I have, I put my finger on this midway through the match. Okay. It's because this post-Funkasaurus angry man, no respect, Brodus Clay. It's exactly the same characterization as Camacho was earlier in the episode. Mm. I was, you know, I wasn't taken seriously before. You need to take me seriously. I'm big and strong and dangerous and angry. I'm going to show you by smashing someone. Mm. It's exactly the same characterization, and we like Camacho more. I have never been a fan of Brodus Clay's work, um, mm-hmm. no matter what character he's portraying. Nor am I a fan of his his post wrestling career as a Fox News personality. Um, I will say that like this is probably my favorite Brodus Clay match. Okay. <laughs> I actually didn't hate it, and I want to talk about the finish more later. Okay. He's not the most confident wrestler. I think he still feels a little bit hesitant and a little bit uh, a little bit more going through the motions robotic-y than, than some of the more smooth wrestlers that you'll see, I, I think. I noticed I'm- that, and I was wondering if it was because he also doesn't seem to sell. And it doesn't that mean that he has to sell in a big way, but it's that he doesn't react whenever Adrian Neville is doing moves. And so it's like nothing is happening. You have one performer who's giving a lot, and you have another performer who's just like doing the job. I think part of it is, and I had to watch a good chunk of Bunkasaurus gimmick to get through to other yeah. stuff I wanted to watch. Those matches would be three moves long, okay? Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and it would be... Okay, I'm going to punch you some, and I'm going to do one of three moves, one of which is my finisher. And he doesn't have the connective tissue that someone like a Neville or a Sami Zayn or a Jason Jordan can do, where you're doing other stuff to get from spot to spot, and it's starting to show in the cracks. Mm. When did he come in? He came in in, like, the mid-aughts yeah, or he something, was, he was right? Un- so he like was he- under Del Rio as his kind of student That's for right. a while. So he really has not been in the company all that long. I think for me, the w- the reason it worked is because 
maybe this wasn't intentional on his mm-hmm. part, but like it really seemed to me like you've got this dude who was on the main roster who is coming down here, slumming it, so to speak, in NXT and really kind of just thinks he's going to walk in and win the championship mm-hmm. and walk in and beat Adrian Neville. So for me, I, I guess I saw the slowness and the more reactiveness and the kind of going through the motions nature of it as part of the story Mm. because like he doesn't think he needs to do very much to win a match against this guy and adrian neville meanwhile is giving it everything he has and by the end of the match clay realizes that he does actually have to work to win this match and then decides to make the biggest mistake possible all right so clay does a vulcan nerve pinch and neville answers with a bunch of kicks the audience starts to chant Thunder Thighs because the NXT universe is really looking to earn my ire. Yeah. Stop being a bunch of shit crumbs, if you would, please. Humanity. Yeah. Neville does that absolutely effortless springboard off the top rope and flies like the Nike logo, except to dunk his forearm on Clay's noggin. And yeah, he does AJ Styles' uh, finishing move. <laughs> I was about to say, he does a better forearm than AJ Styles, and he's not a homophobe, so. That's yeah. right. Or a flat earther. <laughs> There's some stuff out there, man. (laughs) (laughs) So he tries to follow it up with the red arrow, but Clay evades. Neville ends up on the outside after a headbutt, and Clay picks him up and just slams him onto that thin, springless mat that they have surrounding the ring. (laughs) Brutal. It's to protect the floor, not to protect the wrestlers. (laughs) Pretty much. Clay goes to the top of the solid steel steps to do an elbow drop. Neville rolls out of the way, but the countout is going and Neville gets back in the ring and Clay is too busy going, ah, falling on the floor sucks so much, guys, like more than you remember it sucking. And they call it an elbow drop, but really it was basically just a splash, I think. Okay. The bell goes, Neville has won by countout. Clay is infuriated and tries to come for Neville who drop kicks him. And then Clay angrily skulks to the back as Neville holds his championship high. All right. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown, Bob. Uh, What did you think of this episode as a whole? I think there were some really fun matches. There was some fun Muppet bullshit. And I love that. The audience. Oh, the audience. NXT universe. Not a great night for the NXT universe. And I have to deal with these pieces of shit for the next couple of tapings or the next couple of episodes because of the tapings. So I guess I have to live with them, but oh, oh, I'm try. I'm very <laughs> tempted to drive to Florida and just start kicking over mailboxes. <laughs> <laughs> with that in mind, I think it's time to get into the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. But before we can get to that, we have to ring the bell. Oh, my God. First of all, we are ringing the bell for Cal Bishop. Okay. I accept uh, this. You may remember Cal as the guy whose ears disqualified him for a job working for Sylvester LaForte. Oh, my God. Uh, the guy who lost a tag team match to the Ascension back in March and the guy who lost a tag team match to the Ascension again in this episode, never having actually gotten into the match. This is his final televised appearance for NXT, but... He did keep wrestling. He worked in Georgia for a couple of years under the name Grizz, Mm. mostly for a promotion called World Wrestling Alliance 4. Uh, Seems, from what I can tell, like he took a break for a year and some change around 2016. But in 2017, he showed up in the California Indies, calling himself Cal Jack. And uh, actually, the first thing he did was team up with our old friend uh, Garrett Dillon, a.k.a. <gasps> Jody Christofferson, <laughs> in a tag team called Team Man Bear Pig. <laughs> oh, my God. Yay. 
Well, yeah, he's been wrestling in California ever since. Uh, most recently, he worked for Game Changer Wrestling, or GCW, which a lot of people uh, know about. And we are also ringing the bell on this episode for the great Kali. Okay. We're actually right at the end of Kali's in-ring career here, which is one of the reasons he's moving so stiffly. Uh, he only had six matches after this, two of which were brief appearances in Battle Royals or Royal Rumbles, and none of the others lasted very long. He's actually had a really interesting career that we don't have time to dig into right now. I will say there is a recent episode of Tights and Fights where they focus on Kali's career, and it's very good, so you should go listen to that. He was kind of WWE's way into India, like the Indian market. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a brief undefeated streak. He was world heavyweight champion. He earned a Slammy Award for the 2008 damn moment of the year, (laughs) uh, which he won after he started hosting a kiss cam on SmackDown and calling himself the Punjabi Playboy. And of course, this year, uh, as we record this, he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, which is objectively hilarious, but also good for him. (laughs) If you're seriously upset about it, uh, please take a breath. And remember that the WWE Hall of Fame is not a real thing. It is a thing (laughs) WWE made up and taught you to care about, which is what I have to do every time I remember that China isn't in it. Yeah. So now, let's officially get into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Megan Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? Oh, I have a visual for you. Hold okay. on, if you will. <laughs> the title card for the Ascension match has Connor doing the dumbest face, <laughs> and I love it. And it's wow. like if you were concentrating really hard to try and make your lips the shape of a heart and were mad at how badly it was going. And Victor's expression is, I just smelled my fart and I can't believe my ass would betray me like this. I thought my butt and I were friends and we're not. All right, Miles, what did your elf eyes see? If you're going to do a new tag team, which it appears that we are going to do, it really fucking helps. And I wish more promotions would understand this, especially WWE sometimes. First of all, give them their own music. Don't match yes. their existing themes together if they are previously have been singles wrestlers. Second of all, give them fucking matching gear. And I just want to shout out Jason Jordan and Ty Dillinger and their matching gear, yes. which just absolutely screams. We are a tag team now. There is now a tag team division of two. If, if the only thing you saw was the way in which we are clad, you would know that we are united in this fight, and I appreciate it. And it was the reverse colors, too. It wasn't just that they had the same trunks. It was that one was green-purple, and the other was purple-green. And it was like... Yes, they had similar color schemes. Yes. I love it. I loved it so much. And Lucas, what did your Alphys see? It was going to be the height of Jason Jordan's dropkick, but we discussed that rather thoroughly as he decides mm. to like choose when to stop and then stick his legs out. And the standing dropkick is one of the <laughs> hardest moves in professional wrestling to get right. And so someone like Kofi Kingston or Jason Jordan, who can clear the height of an already tall person and then decide to kick down, just blows my mind every time. But I want to talk about something that has a long and storied history. And we touched on it earlier in the episode. Bob, I'm talking about the jumping nothing into nothing. Yes. (laughs) This is when a wrestler knows that they're going to do a dive and that dive is going to be countered into something else. So they will either end up diving completely parallel to the mat 
doing nothing with the rest of their body, or they will dive completely perpendicular to the mat and end up in a standing position to receive their counter move. It right. never mm-hmm. looks good, but they keep doing it. And in this case, it was Baron Corbin jumping from the top rope. And then you see, I can't remember if it was uh, Jordan or Dillinger, put their foot up and as if oh, to kick. Yes. And then Baron Corbin stops and catches the foot as if to say, ha ha, I am clever. Goes to elbow drop the prone <laughs> opponent who then rolls away. And I'm like, okay, so block, reverse, avoid the reversal. That's a normal wrestling language thing as a conversation that yeah. can happen. It's just you had to jump into nothing to do it. And speaking of one Randy Orton, he has been the recipient of so many jumping nothings to set up an RKO. The only good one <laughs> was Matt Seidel, <laughs> a.k.a. Evan Bourne, doing a shooting star press into nothing to receive an RKO. Oh, how dare you demean the WrestleMania 31 match he had with Seth Rollins like that? Do you remember that fucking finish, sir? Because that was a curb stop attempt to do an RKO, and that was awesome. <laughs> But yes, I, I, I saw the jumping nothing, saw it for what it was, and tipped my hat to it. The jumping nothing is, like, on the same par as the Irish whip in terms of just, like, how can you possibly believe this is real, except that it's a performance. It's okay. Yeah, It's to make the wrestlers safe from whatever counter move yes. they're about to get. Do the safe thing. Yes. I don't care. Absolutely. All right, Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? This was in the best part of the whole show, which was anything involving Aiden English. Although right. Emma, close second. William Regal. Actually, this week, he's going to be in Starlight Express here in Orlando. <laughs> he's playing CB, the Red Caboose. And Renee says, I hope he gets a tan before that. Meow, Renee. I'm hitting the timeout for a second. It didn't occur to me for some reason that Regal would know about what I would consider to be a deepish cut in the world of musicals. But if you are unfamiliar with Starlight Express, and you really should be. I am. It's no, an Android Weber musical <laughs> about anthropomorphic trains, and it is performed on roller skates. It's incredibly dangerous. <laughs> it, yeah, I, I can't imagine how many understudies they have to have. And CB, the Red Caboose, is the main antagonist of the piece, and I want to give you just a taste of his big song. This is called Wide Smiles. I'm just going to read the lyrics. Every hero that you trust, in the end, they all go bust. Robin Hood kept all the money. Piglet poisoned Pooh Bear's honey. E.T. had what? no flying permit. Donald Duck has eaten Kermit. Bambi set the woods alight. And the red caboose is not Snow White. Yeah, da 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 Andrew shit. Lloyd Webber. <laughs> like, what the fuck is wrong with Andrew Lloyd Webber? William Regal, how do you know about this grim-ass <laughs> train musical? I don't know. Like, that sounds to me, if, if, if William Regal, if old villain that he is, if he was going to watch a musical, I think he would watch the one about fucking piglet um, poisoning Pooh's oh, honey. The dangerous one about train? trains who fuck. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is a weird, weird thing that exists. So that is what I heard. And I thought William Regal had made up CB the Red Caboose because I only know Starlight Express as a joke pull. And uh-huh. also as the thing that nobody talks about because it's dangerous and weird and no one should ever it, it just don't ever sure. uh, bring it back to Broadway. Right. So, okay. yeah. So, Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? One thing that uh, I noticed you mentioned was the video package we got for Paige where she won the Divas mm-hmm. title and everything. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, Bob, we have heard that music and in fact seen many parts of that video package so many fucking times before. Yes. Yes, we it is, have. 
I could not believe it when I was watching it when they were like, let's take you back because it's it happened like three or four times already when it's got this this video package of like it's the same music and she does the shh thing, yes, like the shushing thing. And then like she says, like, I know what a diva is supposed to be. They're supposed to be tan, have a lot of color. That's not me or whatever. Yes. And like and we've seen it so many times. And when they were said Let's take you back to when Paige won the the Divas Championship. I was like, sweet. I haven't watched that match in a while. Like, I remember watching it like live when it happened. Let's do that. And the fucking same the video package starts again. I'm like, what are we doing? Why can't we just? Why do we have to just remix this one thing over and over it's recursive again? Recursive reality. It oh my god! Just, it blew my fucking mind that they did the same thing. So like, I had the same reaction. I had to bring it up for what I heard because you mentioned the the Evanescence music, and it's like it is rapidly becoming NXT's version of like the music that plays in the Justice League films whenever Wonder Woman does fucking anything. <laughs> it's like ancient <laughs> lamentation <laughs> music again, <laughs> really. <laughs> Etc. <laughs> All right, Lucas, what did your vocal ears here uh, my Vulcan ears heard William Regal relentlessly big dogging Tom Phillips and I will oh, explain yes? at one point Tom Phillips points out that Aiden English pulled uh, the tights to get the win and Regal yeah. snappily turns on him with, what do you mean and Tom Phillips goes from a certainty he pulled the tights to a question it looked like he pulled the tights oh. <laughs> and like, like the boss has just asked you to like qualify your opinion and then later baron corbin just like annihilates dillinger with that clothesline and tom goes a beautiful clothesline and william regal spits it's not a clothesline it's a lariat and i looked back on the oh, video yeah. and the way you tell the difference bob is that a clothesline you hold your arm straight out next to you and let your opponent run into you as you move. A lariat, you swing your arm, and your arm is crooked as it hits oh, the neck. Oh, come on. And there's, there's no difference. There's no difference. There, there really what isn't. what they called it in the South. But if you look Cassius at it... Cassius Ono insists that there's a difference. Yes. Sorry, Chris Hero insists that there's a difference. Yes, and so if you look at Baron Corbin's arm as it hits... Uh, Ty Dillinger, it is crooked around the neck as he hits him. And so Regal is correct, but takes the moment to just completely go, no, you filthy little toe rag, you in fact got that incorrect. I, oh my I, God. I refuse to believe there's a difference between a clothesline and the Larry. <laughs> you will never convince me of this. You're probably correct. But because Chris Hero thinks that there's a difference, <laughs> I'm gonna I, I'm gonna believe my my big wrestle brother anyway. All right, well, while we're on the subject of things like that, Bob, what did your human heart feel? The acting! Everyone is getting so much better and more comfortable with their characters. Yeah. We have almost done 52 of these. So in terms of showtime for NXT, it's been almost a year that they've had to get hold of what they're doing. And it really shows. Everyone is doing stuff in character in ways that are fun to watch. And I am so proud of, and I wrote this before we talked about this episode, all of my NXT Muppet Babies. They are little Muppet Babies and they're all doing their best. I don't know which one is Baby Miss Piggy, but they're all great. Actually, you know what? I do know it's Tyler Breeze. I was about to say. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Miles, what does your human heart feel? On the same subject, actually. I mean, you were speaking very generally about like all these people getting really like consistently into their characters 
I just cannot get over how consistent Neville's character is mm-hmm. as the guy who understands how the wrestling works. Like, it just makes so much sense. There are so many other baby faces where when Brodus Clay would have jumped off of the stairs and crashed down with that failed splash and Neville rolled out of the way. There are so many baby faces who would have tried to roll that man into the ring and continue the fight because it's not honorable to win by countout. Neville does not do that. Neville wins the match because he is a professional wrestler and that is what you do. He's been doing this forever. Recall the the beat the clock challenge match where he was like, oh, I'm sorry. There's how much time left and I can win this whole thing if I just run around the ring for a while and don't let you pin me. I'm going to do that because even though I'm like a decent person, I also understand this is a job and my job is to win. I love it. It will be a consistent character beat for him for the rest of his NXT career. It gave me so many feelings, and it's one of the reasons I really love the main event. It it is setting up stuff that I am not allowed to talk about because Bob is here. It absolutely is, but beyond that, it's just like, he's just Adrian Neville. He is this person, and he is a worthy champion. He is the one who is the best at doing the thing. I love that because I think about Sammy and Sammy would have absolutely gone. Absolutely. No, I'm going to get this guy back in the ring. And I'm like, Un- Sammy, no, honey, don't. <laughs> Unquestionably. Yes, I can't use my Senso Bean because that will cause me to be stronger. I won't know if I honestly challenge him and win with my That's fighting right. spirit. Sorry, Miles, that was a Dragon Ball Z reference. Oh, my I, God. I, you know what? The specific reference may have gone over my head, but I, I got your feelings there, Lucas. Speaking, Speaking of, of which, feelings, Lucas, what did your human heart feel? Oh, my human heart swelled with joy at how flirty Regal and Renee were being for this whole episode. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Like, they were on opposite ends of the booth as well. So I imagine Byron and Tom are in the middle being like, should, should, we, should we be here? I mean, we could be at a different, we could, <laughs> like that thing at the bar where you're all at the bar and the two people at the end are talking and you're like, should we, we could shuffle around and you guys could sit together and we could talk about the match that's going on and you two can go, I don't know, fuck or something. Because, <laughs> good Lord, every, I, I, honestly, half my notes are interactions between the two of them. Like Renee's commenting uh, Regal Salmon Pink shirt and he's like, Salmon Pink, it makes the girls weak, dear. And then oh, yes. it's like, oh, I'm a mine of such information. And she goes, and a handsome one. And it's just like, no. mom, dad, stop it, please. My friends are over. And my favorite was one where it's like, I can't, I actually tried to look up whether there is a, a particular thing in sort of heraldry or British royalty or whatever. Uh, but Regal was talking about how he was descended from Edward VI and has royal blood in him. And says something about the Lord of Exeter, uh, a true custard. And Renee, uh-huh. without missing a beat, went, I love custard. Oh. <laughs> like, oh, my God. It's funny because I feel like so often we find it irritating. Mm-hmm. In I, a way because I of, like it and hate it. I feel both. I totally get liking it, though, especially in this one. There was nothing that jumped out at me being like, oh, man, Regal, why would you say that? You know, in previous episodes, yeah. he has made some comments where I felt it was kind of gross. But in this one, it did just seem like a, a genuinely like kind of playful interaction you know what you know what it is actually as you say that i realize what it is because it is always regal doing the setup and renee making it flirty she is yes Yes. she is taking the the moment to take it from a normal thing we're just friends talking about wrestling to hey i'm gonna turn that in a little way that you know i like you that really makes it better right like 
It makes it tolerable. Exactly. And it's so cute when to see them like teaming up to do the setup and sort of the flirt punchline, as it were. I don't know what you call it in flirting. Flirt punchline? Yeah. <laughs> the flunch line. Yeah, the flunch line. Is it a flunch line or lariat? Oh, man. <laughs> Is it a well, flunch line or a flariat? <laughs> if you fuck them immediately after, it's a lariat. If there's a bend in it, there's a flariat. <laughs> If you fuck them in the south, it's a flarian. If it's below the Mason-Dixon line, then we call it that. I heard about somebody who got fucked in the south. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. We have about come to the end of our show, but before we leave, we're going to do a very special edition of Guess the Gimmick. So this is the segment where we give Bob the name of a wrestler and they then type that wrestler into the old Google image search and tell us what they think that wrestler's character slash gimmick might be. And after that, uh, we talk a little bit about what it actually is. And um, these are often submitted by our listeners. And if you are a five dollar or up patron of the next wrestling fan, then you get to jump the line in terms of uh, getting your wrestler chosen for Guess the Gimmick, which is why this episode's Guess the Gimmick comes to us courtesy of the Dark Dragon himself, Danny Blackson, who would very much like Bob to Google image search the name Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh boy. Oh boy. Bob, that is B-A-M space B-A-M space B-I-G-E-L-O-W. Okay. Take careful note of the head tattoo. (laughs) What? What? I am looking at a man who has a Dracula widow's peak of hair, snakes, just squiggles (laughs) tattooed on his head, which is shaved or bald or both. I believe it is meant to be fire. Yes. Is wearing a, you know how there's an aisle in every Walmart or Target where it's like party shirts, which is to say a button down that has (laughs) flames on it or like has poker chips on it or something. His wrestling gear is that and it even has little sleevettes, baby doll sleeves. They call them on on a girl's top and a V-neck. He's ultra uncle. He's the (laughs) uncliest man that ever uncled. (laughs) <laughs> he's he's Uncle Bad Decisions, who this is how he rolls up to everything, whether that is your high school graduation, grandma's funeral, or, you know, your own wedding. He's going to show up dressed like this. Is he going to wear a hat? Is he going to wear a wig? Nope. It's always going to be showing off that tattoo. Guys, his best friend did it for him in the back of a pickup truck. I don't know what the problem is. And... <laughs> He's great. You love him. (laughs) He is the person who bought you beers because he said, you know what? I'd rather you drink here. And you're like, Uncle Bam Bam, I'm 14. (laughs) Like, I didn't even ask you to buy me beer. Why why did you do this? Like when you're a little kid, he's the fun uncle. And as you get older, he becomes more and more weird and creepy. Mm -hmm. I know. And you're like worried about him. And you go like, (laughs) oh, my God, is he okay?" But you still love him and care about him. And part of you wishes that your chest hair was that fulsome 
and that you could pull off these tiny baby sleeves this well. How long ago was his midlife crisis, Bob? It started in in 1987, and it has been <laughs> a runaway train since then. It has culminated in him skinning Guy Fieri to wear his skin. <laughs> That's right. Do you want to tell me who Bam Bam Bigelow really is? Oh, I can tell you. I can tell you. I was going to say, I think I'm going to toss this one over to Lucas because I, my understanding of Bam Bam Bigelow honestly is limited. I have heard people say that Bam Bam Bigelow did not have a gimmick. Nope. But I'm going to throw this over to Lucas Brown to explain uh, what that actually means. Oh, you want me to talk about the nightmare from Ashbury Park, the beast from the East, Bam Bam Bigelow, who lived his gimmick. Uh, this was a guy who came up, I believe, in the late 70s, uh, but came to prominence in the mid 80s and 90s. That outfit and that tattoo are legit. That's how Bam Bam <gasps> lived his life. He was a big brawny. Uh, at his biggest, he was around 400 pounds. Uh, this big, uh-huh. brawny, tough-as-nails dude who actually hung out with bikers and with, like, smash beer bottles on his head and shit like that. But he was also known as being one of the best and most athletic big men, second only to someone like Vader, because he would do cartwheels mm-hmm. and moonsaults and oh, big splashes shit. and was known... Didn't he team up with Vader? Yes. You could just call them stiffness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. What's their... Because they'll hit you for real. Yeah, what's their tag name? Pain. (laughs) He was also big enough and scary enough IRL that they would just hire him to be in movies. He would show up and just like be the scary bad guy. Uh, Famously in the the Damon Wayans movie, Major Pain, he showed up as a biker that they hired to beat up Major Pain. He then uh, looks scary, gets punched in the throat and kicked in the head. He is Bam Bam Bigelow. He has now passed away, but he was himself entirely himself for his entire life. Wow. That's so amazing. Thank you. Bam Bam Bigelow. Thank you so much to Danny for uh, sending in that suggestion. I was very curious to see what Bob would think about a man who <laughs> legitimately didn't have a character apart from who he actually was. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Lucas, thank you so much for being a thank part of the show. You. It was so wonderful having you on again. I was happy to come back, and I appreciate you lifting your uh, your dude ban, a completely justified and realistic and reasonable thing to do uh, in order to let me back <laughs> into your house for a minute to steal beer out of the fridge with Uncle Bam Bam. <laughs> Our pleasure. And uh, you want to talk for a moment about where people can find you on the wonderful world of Al Gore's internet. <laughs> well, if you want to find me on Al Gore's internet, uh, the best place to look is that hell site called Twitter, uh, where I am Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D. I'm also on Instagram at the same handle. And you can come and share in various pandemic stresses and silly moments and hear me talking about how my kid loves Moana. What's the uh, current status of the Matthew? Are you recording new episodes right now? Uh, I am. It's just I am doing my best because my Matthew used to come out weekly and then it came out fortnightly. And then the global panini you might have heard about happened. And so yeah. uh, yes. working from home and uh, taking care of a nearly four-year-old now has not left me a ton of time to record. I did a, like a brief flurry of episodes around Christmas. I dropped a couple of Christmas episodes mm-hmm. and a few new ones. Uh, and then the entire first quarter of this year slid by without me noticing it. I've got Mm -hmm. a few guests lined up. It's just a matter of working out the logistics of actually recording. But yes, we are, in fact, coming back. I've got some exciting people who I'm happy to talk to, but uh, has not happened just yet. So if you wanted to find that, that's at The Math of You on Twitter or TheMathOfYou.com. Yeah, it's a really wonderful podcast where Lucas interviews people about the formative media that shaped who they are, uh, who they were as young people. Um, Yes. I have been on it. 
Bob has been on it 27 times, 28 times. I think Bob is tied with Chris Sims for being the most recurring guest. Yeah. And, and, you know, but in various capacities, sometimes I'm doing a cameo and sometimes I'm actually in the episode. It just kind of depends. So if you want to hear about uh, the influences that drove Bob and myself as uh, younger people, uh, you can go check out those episodes of the Matthew View and you should just listen to it in general because it is a really, really good show. Yeah, we've got more than 100 episodes in the pipeline, so you're going to find something you like. Absolutely. All right, well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, as always, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, and I'm so glad to have both of my wrestle dads back. Yeah. I mean, it's always a joy, and having Lucas on is such a gift. Lucas is always delightful. In all forms, on Twitter, if you don't follow Lucas on Twitter, you definitely should, at Locified. And speaking of following Lucas and his many adventures, especially on his podcast, The Math of You... Lucas has been going through some rough life stuff lately. I would take it as a beautiful favor to me and to the world and to Lucas if you would go and support Lucas's work on Patreon or on Ko-fi. And I will tell you where to find that. It is patreon.com slash Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D. And on Ko-fi, if you are a Ko-fi user, ko ficom forward slash Lokified, same way as it is spelled for the Patreon. So please go support Lucas and the wonderful work that he does. Yeah, he's going through a rough patch right now. So if you enjoyed uh, him on our show, um, he could really use the help. And we would yes. really appreciate it if you could go over to Patreon and or Kofi. Thank you so much for, for doing that. And thank you so much for being a patron of ours, for yeah. uh, for giving us money and helping support our show. We really appreciate you. If you are a five dollar and up patron and you have early access to the show, you might be listening to this prior to the release of our new bonus content. If you are not, if you are listening to this on our regularly scheduled Saturday time slot, uh, you should already have both Scooby-Doo, WrestleMania Mystery, and Ill Omens in your podcast feeds. So keep an eye out for that. That's coming. And if if you were listening to this early access, it's coming any day now. So uh, keep an eye on your feeds for all of that. Again, just really appreciate all of your support. And um, looking forward to hanging out with all of you this Sunday, May 30th at 1 p.m. Pacific on cast, where we are doing another watch party. Yeah. It's going to be tons of fun. We've got the lineup pretty much set at this point, I think, and I'll be releasing that over the rest of the week on on Twitter and our other social media. We're going to be watching the I'm Sorry, I Love You match, the original, Mm -hmm. the Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels match from WrestleMania 24. We're going to be watching Trish Stratus and Mickey James from WrestleMania 22. We're going to be watching the good housekeeping match between China and Jeff Jarrett. Uh, that we talked about on episode 45. I am so, so fascinated to see what the hell that looks like. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, plus some other non-WWE stuff as well, which I'm very excited we about. We get to so. see evil Adrian Neville. Yeah, evil Adrian Neville's going to be on the show. Sonny Kiss is going to be in the lineup. Oh so, my god. Um, really looking forward to the watch party coming up on Sunday. Uh, if you have been to one of our watch parties before... It's the same room. You know where to go. Go to cast. Go to the next wrestling fan room and just do your thing. If you haven't joined us before, uh, really hope you come check it out this time. We will be spreading the word in terms of the links and how to get into that party uh, all over our social media in the Smash Fiction Fan Faction at NXT Wrestling Fan on Twitter and on our Facebook page. So just keep an eye out for all of that. And uh, we hope to see you there. 
Yeah. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for supporting and just being part of our community. And we'll see you once again in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bye. The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. What are you to do with freezer-burned peas if not elbow drop them? I ask you. Counterpoint. A bag of ice you got from the gas station for a party that is not breaking up so you can put it into the cooler. Counterpoint off of that counterpoint, there is a thing you can do with freezer burned peas, which is save them and use them as an ice pack if you need an ice pack and don't have one. But once they're all freezer burned into one clump, you still have to like break them up, don't you? To get them to like conform. I guess, but like not really. Oh man. I guess it depends on what, on how. (laughs) This is a nonsense conversation. Let's move on. You know what? I'm really proud of you for recognizing that and calling it out as such, because I think that's a thing you learn in your 30s. You know what? I'm going to be dead someday. We're going to fucking stop this right now. There's a finite amount of time in this world. Bye. Pew, pew. What was that? What was that shit? Pew, pew. I I got really into doing it because... um, It's a thing that we have whiplash do all the time. And so it's how in writers meetings for Skeletor, we always end it by going like, bye, pew, 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 and do finger guns at each other until we (laughs) hang up. And I don't know why. It's just really fun to say pew, pew. Miles, try it. Just enjoy it. Pew, pew. Yeah, see? All right, you're right. You got a point. I feel privileged to be part of this now. Yeah, pew, pew, man. Pew, pew. Pew, pew, indeed.